Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Your life, and he'll lead you through this life. You have a mission to complete with your life. It doesn't start in heaven, it starts now. Verse six, then the woman fled Israel fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. When the tribulation reaches the boiling point of wrath, God has prepared a place for a remnant of Jews to be safely protected and they will become the first fruits of God's salvation of this wayward nation. Listen to how Satan will respond when this happens now. God puts his hands over the nation and goes, uh, 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 you ain't touching these ones. Verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Revelation reveals the omnipotent lion of Judah in complete and utter control and dominion over everything. Every created thing is his. And that includes Satan. Satan. Because he's a created being. He's an angel who went awry, but Jesus owns him. There's no equality here. In Isaiah 14, 12, uh, we read about Satan and a third of the angels rebelling in heaven. They are cast out and cast down to the earth. However, Satan is allowed to visit into heaven. We see him doing that on occasion. Occasionally, we see him ridiculing the church and bringing accusations against the saints. Even now, he's doing that. But in this future story that's yet to happen, Satan is removed completely once and for all from heaven. This is a future battle in heaven, and the devil is finally locked out for good. And all God's people said, amen. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him, here we are, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, for you who dwell in them. So how can we experience this victory over the evil one? Well, first, by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. He purchased our pardon when he went to the cross in our place. We who were guilty of sin, sentenced to eternal punishment, in a place called hell, can now experience total forgiveness by turning from our life of sin and by surrendering ourselves to Jesus. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Someone had to shed their blood, and that someone is Jesus Christ. No one else could do it. Only God could do it. Because, you see, a human being can only die for themselves. I could die for my sin. I can't die for your sin. I can't bring you salvation. I can pay the penalty for my death, but that would mean eternal separation from God. So Jesus steps into 
humanity in history. And God became flesh. God became a man. And He went to the cross. He who knew no sin bore our sin and became sin. And it was nailed to a cross forevermore. Hallelujah. That's the only reason you and I can enter into the presence of the most holy God. And one day when we stand in heaven in front of Jesus Christ and he throws his arms open and says, welcome, and we see those two holes in his palm of his hands, we'll eternally be reminded that the only reason that you and I are there is because of him and we'll give him glory throughout eternity. So Satan is thrown down to earth, locked out of heaven, and his response is pure evil. I'm reminded of a two-year-old here. Verse 12, we continue. Woe to the inhabitants. That means look out. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The devil knows the clock is ticking down. He knows he cannot change history. Jesus has won. He's conquered death. He is the victorious Savior. He can't change that. But what he can do is try to change your destiny and your place that you'll spend in eternity. And as a believer, he will try to take away your testimony. He doesn't want you sharing Christ with anyone. He wants you just to shut up and go to heaven. He can't change where your destiny is once you give your life to him, but he can try to stop you from talking about it. He knows he has a short time. Verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Remember, the woman is Israel. He persecutes Israel who gave birth to the male child. Why? Because God loves, he has a special love for that country and that nation. Verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. It's a picture of God just lifting up the nation and protecting them as they flee to this place of safety, this refuge he has for them. He, uh, he provides a great, uh, great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time. Now that time is, is one year, times is two years because it's plural, and a half time is a half year. So it's three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So God just protects these people wherever it is he's going to do that. Satan can't reach him. Satan is prevented from destroying the entire Jewish race. So he throws a temper tantrum in verse 15. And while heaven will rejoice when the devil is cast out of heaven, the earth will suffer greatly at his arrival. Verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. As, as Israel flees to wherever she's going to be protected, Satan just throws everything he has at the nation of Israel. And, and John described it as a spewing out 
like water, like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now the terminology spewed out of his mouth possibly relates to him spraying out a flood of anti-Semitism like the world has never seen before. We're all familiar with anti-Semitism. It's been around since practically uh, the beginning, but Satan is going to take it up a whole notch. Satan hates Jewish people. He always has because of God's special love and his special care for them. And he releases his anger upon this nation and its people like never before. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman. The earth helped Israel. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Now, who are the offspring that we're talking about? Well, this is the Gentile nations that, that are under Israel's, you know, to, the, to Israel first, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. So now he turns, and he turns on uh, the uh, believers, the Gentile Christ followers, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. When Satan is prevented from destroying every last Jew on the planet, he turns his anger upon mankind and the tribulation saints. You know, you remember, they're protected, but yet God allows Satan a time that he can kill them. And there will be tribulation saints at this time that are killed. We're looking at the, terror, the trio of terror, and we've looked briefly at the dragon revealed. Now, now let's see number two, the Antichrist revealed. Antichrist revealed. Let's continue on now in chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now, the sand of the sea, the sea re always represents Gentile nations in the Word of God. Uh, so he is standing there. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. So this is a Gentile beast having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. In Old Testament time, the Jews were wary of the sea. They didn't like it. They believed that it was an untamed and fierce place, that demons um, lived in the sea. So they didn't really like traveling the sea. And isn't it interesting, out of this terrifying place, a terrifying beast emerges known as Antichrist. He is referred to this way only five times in the entire Bible, all of them in John's epistles. Antichrist will arise from a Gentile nation and be a dynamic world leader. Uh, the horns signify power and dominion throughout the Bible. And so he will be very powerful. He will have influence on the entire world. The ten crowns on his horns signify that he is a political leader of ten powerful nations, possibly through something like the UN or, or the United States of Europe or something like that. Rome was famously known by the seven mountains that crowned uh, um, Rome around the city there. And the prophet Daniel clearly reveals Rome as the Gentile host of these nations. So it will be a resurrected 
nation to its former glory. Of course, Rome is nothing like it was back in biblical times. They ruled the world. And once again, Rome will rise when Antichrist comes to power. These seven heads of seven countries under Antichrist will be known by their profanities against God. When Antichrist arises to power at the middle of the tribulation, he will move from the leader of seven nations to worldwide dominance at this, during this time. Keep in mind that Antichrist has brokered a seven-year peace between the Arabs and Israel, pretty much between the world and Israel, something that no one's been able to achieve. And this will bring him great fame and respect by the world leaders. However, halfway through, three and a half years now we're talking about, he will break his own treaty, and all hell breaks loose at that point. During the first three and a half years, with peace for the first time in modern Middle East history, Israel will rebuild her temple during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They'll be allowed to rebuild their temple and, and begin to, to uh, practice some of their spiritual, their ritual practices. They'll begin to do that. But from here on in, Antichrist will break his treaty after three and a half years, and he will set himself up as God in the temple there in Jerusalem and place Israel in a dangerous position in the world. Let's continue on in verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. This is, um, this is written in Daniel as well. Just the description is also in Daniel. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Satan is behind the scenes, um, and he's, he's playing the puppets. He's, he's leading the puppets here. Verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, we're not specifically told what this wound is that the beast sustains, but I, I'm of a mind that it is a literal and mortal head wound from some sort of weapon. It could be something that God punishes them with, or it could be something that someone else uh, fires or, or, or attempts to kill him with. But it's obvious to everyone that the beast is dead. And then... He's not. He comes back to life. He's resurrected. This is Satan, his version of the Trinity, of Jesus, his son, coming back to life. Satan never had an original thought. He just is trying to copy what God is doing. This makes the whole world shake with fear and reverence. For the Antichrist, and they will declare their allegiance to him almost immediately. Somebody that can overcome death is a very powerful entity, 
And these nations recognize, we better do what this guy says. And they declare their allegiance to him, failing to understand where it will ultimately lead them. Verse 5, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. He can't, get, he can't walk into heaven, so he's going to curse heaven. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. God will temporarily allow some of his saints to be martyred for his glory and his purpose. Later on, we see God honoring these saints in heaven. And authority was given him, the Antichrist, over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Finally, for a short time, Satan realizes total world dominance and the worship of the lost souls that he's desired for so long to worship him. You remember, he, he, he tempted Jesus to worship him early on. He just wanted to be worshiped like a god. And now he gets to experience a little bit of this. Satan doesn't have an original thought. He is not God. So he poorly imitates this trinity here in, in a satanic trio. Satan setting himself up as God, he then sets up Antichrist as Jesus. And we're about to meet his third counterfeit, the prophet, the beast from the earth. We've seen the beast of the sea. Now here's the beast of the, that arises out of the earth. And the beast mimics the Holy Spirit. We've seen, number one, the dragon revealed. Number two, the Antichrist revealed. And lastly, we see number three, the false prophet revealed. The false prophet. In part, the work of the Holy Spirit is to encourage believers to worship God and His Son, Jesus. So Satan creates his false prophet in order to compel unbelievers to worship and obey this Antichrist. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. The fact that the false prophet has horns means he has great power. But the fact that he doesn't wear a crown on them means he has no political power, like that of Antichrist. He is more like a minister of propaganda. He controls the message that goes out to the world and to the unbelievers. 
Although he will resemble the personality of a peaceful lamb, he will speak lies and treachery like that of Satan and the dragon. He will convince most of the world that Antichrist is worthy of their praise and worship and obedience, and the world governments will follow him all the way to hell. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Now, he got, see, they have no power except that which God allows them to use. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is very interesting. This is a graven image that somehow Satan has allowed the power to animate. Boy, that's a terrifying thing, isn't it? You realize this thing's not real, and yet somehow God allows Satan to uh, cause it to animate and come alive in many ways. Satan couldn't receive worship in heaven when he demanded it, so he attempts to gain it on the earth from the people made in God's image. He will succeed for a short period of time. Verse 16, he, the false prophet still, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, the beast was not satisfied with just mere worship. He demands to control every aspect of people's lives. He wants total domination over God's creation. He demands their total allegiance like that of Hitler, Mussolini, or Stalin. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. For many centuries, Bible scholars and students alike have been trying to solve the riddle of this number. But one thing is clear. If you doubted the ability of having government control over every human on earth, COVID should have made you a believer. I think we've seen the first attempts at this. Maybe a softening of this. Our own government leaders thought it was acceptable for our brave healthcare workers, our paramedics, our nurses, our doctors to be put in the position of having to obey the medical mandate or be fired. Hundreds were terminated for refusing to comply right here in our own valley. If you don't think this can happen, you've missed, you haven't been watching the news. I'm just glad that we pre-tribbers won't be here for part two of this madness the number six is the number of a man since Adam was created on the sixth day. Seven is the number of 
perfection or completeness. So man cannot have that number. Six is the number of man. He's not perfect. Whomever it is and whatever it refers to, I believe the tribulation saints will clearly understand its meaning and origins when God makes it known to them. Apparently, we don't need to know who the Antichrist is. And if you know who he is, you've been left behind. You don't want to be there. I don't want to know. (laughs) Because I want to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. Amen? And right after that, then Antichrist comes on the scene. And, And then the tribulation saints somehow will know what 666, who 666 is at that time, but we're, it's not revealed to us. And rather than being infatuated and consumed with trying to know the person of 666, it's my opinion that we would be better served becoming infatuated and consumed with knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's focus on him. Let's know him so well because the rest of this is going to happen and God's in control. We need to get closer to Christ as the days count down, as the sand in the hourglass is about to run out, as we are called up and caught up into the heavens, into the clouds. And so we shall be with Jesus Christ forevermore, the word tells us. Amen. All right, let's pray. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.